Jukebox Java. Hi, this is Ben from Jukebox Java. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. In this week's episode, we talk about Tune In Tel Aviv, a music conference here in Israel that we decided to attend. We wanted to see what people had to say about the music industry, both from musicians and from industry executives. We learned a lot, and we thought it was pretty interesting. So we decided that we would share our thoughts on the conference here on this podcast for you listeners. Although it's not our smoothest conversation per se, we do think the information is pretty informative, and we hope that it inspires you to live your dreams and reach for your goals. Without further ado, here's the conversation. You're listening to Jukebox Job, a caffeinated music podcast with Ben Wallach and Yakir Hyman. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Jukebox Java. Yeah, guys, thanks for tuning in again. It's uh, it's good to have you here with us. Yeah. Um, so, just... Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> just want to, like, give a disclaimer because um, this week's episode is not recorded in the usual situation because my computer died, but we are recording to a Zoom, which I highly recommend for any musician, a Zoom H4n. Yes, if you need something to record on the go or anything, then just use it. It's amazing. You never know what you can do. Yeah. It's a very handy device. We used it a lot of time. It's in... actually called the handy mic. You know. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, that's the name of it. Yeah. It, it's good for anybody to have. We used it in Genome Project all the time to record live shows, which inherently became a catalyst then get more fans online when you put up the shows of the recording. And it's literally just putting the H4N on a gorilla pod in the room and taking board outs in and then using the microphones built in on it to make a matrix recording and just throw it up. Yeah, man, totally. Yeah, we don't need, don't need no help from nobody. And Zoom was my first studio before I you know, bought proper microphones. I used it as an interface, as a microphone, everything. Yeah. It's just a handy little dude. Handy do, dude, the H4N. Every, it does everything. Yeah, we are not getting paid for this endorsement. Don't even think that for a second. But but if Zoom wants to pay for this endorsement, then they're more than welcome to. Yeah, we'll, we'll, take, we, we'll take the money. So um, let's jump into it. Last week, Ben and I uh, made the decision to attend an international music conference that took place in Israel, which that in of, of itself is very interesting that it happened. And it was called Tune In Tel Aviv. And it took place from, what are the exact dates? It was uh, November 9th. 9th to the 12th, the right? 12th, yeah. And uh, it, it was a gathering of international music professionals from literally all over the world who converged on Tel Aviv to the Hatachana there. And a lot of music discussion ensued, really more industry stuff with showcases thrown in into the mix also during the day during the conference and then also at night a lot of different showcases across various venues in Tel Aviv and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a some of the reasons why we decided to go and then some of our top line takeaways from uh, from the conference and what we learned from attending totally yeah so we went on the the first day of the conference which was November 10th and uh, we stuck around there for all for a bunch of different uh, sessions and things that happened. And then Yakir stayed a little bit later for some of the concerts. Uh, I had to go because I had a gig. But uh, that you was basically gigger. that was basically it, you know. We we debated going back for later for later days and we decided not to for reasons that you'll hear about a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But um, 
it was definitely, we're definitely happy we went and it definitely incent, you know, gave us incentive to, to launch our podcast. We did a little soft launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, let's jump into some of the reasons why we, you know, we saw that this conference was happening. Uh, I forget if I, you know, I saw an advertisement for it or whether, uh, I think I liked it from previous years. I actually went to the first one yeah, you went. in 2012, I think it was when it was in Jerusalem at the JVP center and it was actually free back then. And it was, um, it was smaller. It was still very good back then. I thought it was great. They brought a very high caliber level of, uh, industry professionals, uh, and it was, it was actually eye-opening. I think, I think I actually implemented some of the lessons I, I learned there with, with Genome over the, the coming years. But uh, it's cool to see how it's grown, or at least what it's developed into, I'll say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so some of the reasons why we went, I'll list one, then, then you can list one. Okay. Um, I know for me, um, which I thought would be beneficial, at least for, for Ben and I, was just the concept of good old-fashioned networking. We looked at the speaker, the speaker roster, and there was a lot of international people, a lot of people in interesting positions uh, globally in the music industry. And it's always good to just get in front of people, regardless of you know whether you talk about your you know your project or yourself or not. It doesn't matter. Just getting to these spaces where people converge and, and commune, and having discussions with them, you know, you hear someone talking about something interesting, you know, feel them out. If you feel like you can sort of jump into a conversation or you have something valuable to add, you know, wait for your turn, tread, you know, join a conversation if it's applicable and, you know, and you share your thoughts with people and it's, it's, it's fun and it's exciting and it's anxious to network, at least for me personally, but it's a very big value add. And I actually had um, a personal, um, reason for going, uh, which didn't end up working out. One of the partners from a booking agency called Madison house was going to be there, which is the booking agency that my former Bangino project is signed with. And I really, he was one guy I wanted to meet with during my tenure with the band who I never actually got FaceTime with. So I was What's really excited, uh, Jake Schneider. So I was really excited to see him on the roster and I really wanted to go and get a little bit of FaceTime with him, introduce myself. Right. Uh, we were working with uh, his, uh, a junior account manager of his. And uh, so they, they've built such an incredible operation uh, out of Colorado and they managed some of my favorite artists and it was, it was like definitely string cheese accident, string cheese incident, incident Lotus, yeah. uh, you know, a bunch of Ad, uh, Adam Deitch projects and just a bunch of others that we're very, very familiar with. Analog Tape Machine, which is my buddy Marcus's band. And yeah, they manage a lot of Wolfpack. <laughs> I mean... Oh, dude, well, Wolfpack is blown yeah. up. So they're... they're And um, I'm not, Twiddle, regardless of what, you know, I might think about them, but just very well-known bands, very talented bands. So he he's just someone that I wanted to get some FaceTime with. You know, we're definitely just both on the same wavelength in terms of music. Uh, he's been focusing a lot on electronic music uh, also, so which is a big genre these days. So in terms of networking, that was one person specifically. I said, okay, I really want to get some FaceTime with him. He didn't end up coming. Okay, not the biggest deal. Definitely met a lot of cool people. Just like, you know, uh, I knew enough people there that, 
people introduced me to people on the fly. I said the word people a lot. I used it like five times in the past sentence, but that's networking. It's all about people. And I'm, I'm caffeinated too right now. Totally. Obviously, and you have a lot of experience like, uh, with, uh, with conferences, right? Cause you've done a bunch of stuff with your, with your day job. Yeah. That's the, and there's you, a lot of, it was actually really nice just like walking around with you. Cause you kind of like have the whole thing down <laughs> in terms of like, uh, you said you like feel awkward doing it, but you're, you're excellent. Yeah. Excellent networker. It's just, it's you're good schmoozer. It takes, it takes practice. Yeah, that these so there's a lot of benefits of having a day job and like moonlighting as a musician, sort of like things like that leak over. Like I've been to a lot of search marketing conferences or financial investment conferences for various work endeavors, but then like you learn a bit just how to talk to people, how to like either walk up to them or see when they, it might not be appropriate to walk up to them. Just general people skills and like networking. It's it's a skill and it's valuable. And, um, you know. Sometimes people, you know, people keep in mind, everyone is there to network. They just want to know that they're talking to the right people. Yeah. So make yourself be the right person, you know, listen to them, hear what they have to say. Um, most of the time you, you know, we can learn a lot from that, but yeah, so that's the networking bit. We definitely went to network, met a lot of cool people, met a talent agent, you know, an agent, uh, an artist manager from LA who just started an agency a few years ago. Um, just very interesting people all around talking to musicians, like actual Israeli musicians who were playing and who were showcasing and being able to watch their performance and then just talk to them um, about more business stuff. Cause yeah, it was, it was super like casual. It was like, very casual. It was like the most casual conference we've ever, I like, I've only been to like a few conferences, but of all the conferences I've ever been to, it was by far the most casual. Yeah, and that's what's fun about a music conference. There's two reasons that it's fun to attend a music conference. One, because it's something that I actually like really, really, really care about, not just that I work in. Um, two is uh, we're both very knowledgeable in this area, so like we have a lot to contribute to various conversations. And three, it's a music conference, so inherently you could just wear whatever you want. You don't have to like button up. Yeah. Like you could maybe if you're like a super high record exec, but like even like... That just doesn't happen that much anymore. Yeah, nobody, you're nobody, was, meeting, nobody you know? was dressed uh, fancy. Yeah, so it's nice to just be able to go to like a conference and just wear your casual jeans and T-shirt. And, you know, you're almost more dressed up than a lot of people wearing jeans and T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so networking was one. Um, so then we'll jump over to Ben. We'll yeah. list off another one. Reason maybe he wanted to go and why he thought it might be good for us. Great point about the networking. I think that was really the biggest reason why we went. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but also we wanted to just see what things are like in Israel versus the rest of the world. See, like, you know, people who are coming from the Israeli music industry, see what they think, what they think is happening. Because I think uh, different countries have different vibes and different, like, energies. And a lot of what we saw was, like, a lot of the older guys, especially the older execs, were, like, talking about how they brought, like, Ofer Chaza into the world and, uh, and, and these very, like, unique Israeli artists and they kind of come are coming from like a slightly different angle because they're trying to put like a cult, more of a cultural spin on the music industry than I think people do in America. They're saying like, this, what is unique about Israel that we can sell to the world? And so that was kind of like a different angle, basically. Can you elaborate on that a little, just a, a tad more? Yeah. Like uh, that's something that, that interests me. I, I didn't think about that so much. Yeah, I th they, a lot of what they were talking about the first con the first session that we went to, right? They were talking about like how can we like push Israeli artists out of Israel. I think that's like a a big thing for Israeli executives. It's like we want to get this music out there because the market is so small in Israel. There's only like eight million people that live here, so how can we? In order to make money, you have to sell records 
everywhere you have and to go to, abroad and to, was... and to go abroad to perform and all that stuff so like the israeli mindset of of an of a successful artist has to be something that they can push out of israel right and that's very different than than like an american an artist let's say that just needs to be come up with a good pop song you know what i mean right so is are you saying that that the conversation was saying things like we're trying to dis, we're trying to figure out exactly what we need to do to export Israeli artists more like what what we need the artists to do or create is is that that was part of the conversation I heard was like they're consistently trying to d- discover what ex- what kind of music needs to happen or what the music needs to be sellable quote abroad right yeah is, is that something you're touching on or am I I'm touching on that yeah we well we didn't know this I'm kind of answering the question of like why we went to go see it but uh, what came out was that, like, yeah, the Israeli industry is very different than the American industry in terms of, like, the guys that are higher up are looking for something a little bit more specific, I think, than an American executive. An American executive is looking for a good song. Right. An Israeli executive is looking for a good song that could speak to the international world, basically. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. And that, that was, was definitely a takeaway. So uh, that was a takeaway, and, but... Uh, th- to answer the question, we were looking to see that kind of stuff, basically. Mm-hmm. Looking to see, like, what is the difference? Right. And that was the opening keynote. The name of that session was uh, The Idiot's Guide to Success, How to Improve Our Music Sector at Home and Abroad. And then in parentheses, hello, hello, is there anybody out there? Um, yeah, an interesting um, panel, uh, d- interesting list of panelists. There was uh, someone from, uh, I'm not going to name everybody, but there was someone, from, uh, an old VP of Warner Music, uh, someone who, a co-founder of Helicon Records here in Israel, and then someone from Akum as well. Akum is our, is our Israeli's PRO. Yeah, the uh, publishing rights organization. That's where That's you like register our BMI, your music. Yeah, ASCAP BMI sort of, type exactly. Of. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna. Would, go, I think we, we should probably do an episode about that stuff. I definitely want to do. That's also that. stuff we need to learn a little bit more about, right? Yeah, like if, if you're an Anglo artist, let's say you're you're based out of the U, like you're really you're you know you have citizenship in UK or America, and a lot of your songs are in English, but you live in Israel permanently. Do you register your music with Akum or BMI or what? what I'll, have I'll you? tell you so right now, are, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you do? I went through BMI. Right. I don't think there's necessarily a wrong way to go, but I think uh, I was talking to someone about it and discovered that there might be a more right way to go. But at the end of the day, getting your stuff registered with the PRO in any way, shape, or form is definitely the way to go. If it's just easier and quicker to go BMI or some other way, like, great, just go with it. Yeah, it's like, it's also you just like, want to get it registered. Yeah, you got to get it registered. Right? And like, but it's one of those things about, like, uh, you know, getting it done and then getting it done, like, super well. Sometimes you don't have the time to do the research or the yeah. wherewithal to just, like, do what you need to do. Sometimes you just need to get it up, get it out, get it done. And that's where, you know, CD Baby apparently is really good at this, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they help. They help. They help you go to BMI or ASCAP exactly. or something. We'll have a. We'll have the. I know the Portnoy brothers had a. We keep mentioning them because they, you know, they deal with more with that side of things. But they, uh, I spoke to Mendy briefly about that, and uh, I don't want to say anything more about that. I would rather have him come on and speak from his experience with uh, going through those uh, either vendors or that registration process with CD Baby because that's a whole other. That's just a whole thing of it uh, in itself. Yeah. So. We went to the conference. Uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, like I don't want to say anything bad, but at the same time, I guess I do. Um, well, just speak freely, not, man. Not not bad. More just, I'm just gonna say what I thought. Yeah. Um, it was the di- we only went for one day. We went on Thursday, 
November 10th, which was the first day of the actual conference. There were showcases throughout, um, you know, from Wednesday night to Saturday night, but the actual just hardcore sessions and conference and industry stuff happened during the day on November 10th, Thursday and November 11th, the Friday. And we went, we planned on going Thursday and Friday during the day and whatever else we could make up. So we we only ended up going Thursday during the day. And, uh, it was just a little underwhelming. Uh, attendance did not. There just there weren't was, a ton of people. Um, not as many as I would have expected. I don't know what what the uh, metric of success is in terms of you know what number they wanted to hit. But in terms of the number of people I, I wanted to meet, yeah, I know that that number was not there. I don't think they hit the number <clears throat> they were looking for at all. Um, well, again, we weren't there on Friday, and apparently there were a lot of people coming in on Friday internationally. But my, my friend who was there on Friday told me that it also did, felt kind of empty. I think a big problem was the, the space they did it at, which is a really cool space. It's, it's called the Tachana in Tel Aviv. It's an old train station mm-hmm. right, right, right where Yafo meets Tel Aviv, uh, Jaffa meets Tel Aviv. And uh, it's kind of like a half open space, like like a lot of other things are going on. It didn't feel like a cohesive like spot to like have a conference. Like people were like drifting in and out. Right. It was very easy to drift. It was very easy for yeah. people to go into their own corners or or be isolated or be introverted or do whatever. And when you have a lot of artists in one spot, that can be uh, a nice, comfortable cop out. You know, when you have space to go and drift off into. Yeah. But it uh, but it kind of lost it. It didn't like gel because of that. I think. Yeah. I think that was part of it. Um, so the so the venue, yeah, the venue played thought, a little bit of. A I thought part that was a bit of an issue. Um, again, we're saying this all with the caveat that we're very happy that an international music conference is happening in Israel, and that enough people took the care and the time to fly in and speak here. Yeah, um, this is like constructive just criticism from what we saw there. Yeah. All the, um, and then uh, let's move more into what we actually took away from it. Yeah. Because that's sure. really where the valuable stuff is. Like, yeah, we want this conference to keep kicking you know so let's yeah like what we actually took away from it um so one of the first one of the big takeaways i think ben and i got from the discussions that we heard um was that there seems to be a lack of alignment in terms of the vision of where the industry is headed and um just everyone's trying to figure out how to work together artist and industry to benefit each other and keep putting out good music to people and make it worth it for everybody, which yeah. seems to be a big, a big part of it. There seems to be a lack of congruence, but it, or an agreement on what's needed. Like what what's needed. We heard artists would speak up and make a statement about what they think they need to either get to the next level of their career or achieve success, which is, that's a word all that I want to talk about yeah. in itself, which is something I brought up at the conference. And then we heard from industry professionals like record execs or people who work at, uh, people just were on the industry side of things, um, hear what they had to either say or respond to these artists. And there definitely seemed to be uh, a lack of understanding. I wouldn't say a complete lack of understanding. Right now, we're thinking. I think we're both thinking specifically yeah. of one panelist. Yeah. Um, but he was the most vocal, and seemed to yeah. It was disregard what the artists were saying. He he was saying like, oh, we know it's really hard for you guys, but like, this is how it used to work. But yeah. everyone knows that it doesn't work like that anymore. So like, what yes. are you even trying to say? The whole, the whole, the whole, the whole panel was just like these guys don't really know what it's like on the ground anymore as an artist. 
in the in 2016, the modern era, where CDs are not being sold. Uh, you know, the, you artists literally have to do everything to push their music. They have to be the one that's marketing it. They have to be the one that's on, you know, emails, booking tours. Like artists are doing everything, and the execs are still thinking like, oh, how did we? How did we book this old artist from like the 70s? Well, she was an amazing, phenomenal hit. Her songs were great. And like people are like, like, what are you talking about? Like, this is not how it works anymore. And so the whole, the whole, the whole like conversation was just like, huh? <laughs> that, that was it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That it was that first panel was was eye-opening in a lot of ways, actually. I took I, I took a lot of value from that. And and the la- the last session, which we'll get to also about journalism. There but, are some things that are, you know, it, it was int- there are some things that from the old the old the old system that still are applicable. I think one guy this guy named Grady, he stood up and he's like, you know, listen, like at the end of the day, like music industry's always been hard and but if you stay true to yourself and your craft and you keep pushing, eventually you're gonna break through. And that was like that really resonated with us, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he's also a hustler. Like, he's a I checked hustler. out his social media stuff, and I checked out. I just checked him out after we met him. The guy's hustling; like, yeah. he's putting in the work. That's yeah. that's a big difference here. I think he's right. But I think more than ever, uh, I agree with you, and I agree with uh, your understanding of what he said. But but then also understanding that he might not even realize how hard he's working. Like he's been, he said he's been doing this twenty three years. He's stuck with it for sure. Or maybe the underlying tone of when he says, you know, keep with it and stay true to your craft. When he says things like keep with it, he's talking about like keep doing all the work that's necessary yeah. to get there. Like he, yeah, he's just put in a tremendous amount of work. It's it's apparent from just looking looking him up. But um, <clears throat> me and harmonica player too. Yeah, we, we got a, we have a sound bite his, uh, of sound that. Bite. Yeah. yeah, we'll pop that in there. <laughs> But yeah, one of the things that we uh, that we noticed from that conversation was uh, in that disconnect between artists and industry, we also heard from artists that didn't really seem to have a handle. A lot of them, almost everyone there, I think if you're attending an international music conference as an artist, right away that's a testament and speaks to the fact that you're you understand hard work. You understand that it's beyond the music and creative side and I'm not just going to like sit on my couch and be creative and things are going to happen. You got to go out and take action, go to a conference, make yeah. moves. But um, there seemed to be some artists who were um, unpleased with the avenues that were available for them or the channels that were available to them to receive help, either from government or industry to, quote, take their their careers further. Yeah. Um, and one thought that I had on that was that I think uh, we take for granted, like Ben and I both just have a lot of experience in management and logistics and having a vision and pushing forward with it. And and so we have a really good handle on the administrative side of things and just the more like mundane side of making music a success. Um, but we take for granted that not every artist has that. So one thought on that is that 
maybe for those artists, people in the industry, or maybe a government subsidy or some sort of that, maybe like spending your time seeking that out instead of putting the actual work in just like doing the outreach yourself or like doing the crowdfunding or doing whatever it is, um, then maybe that will work for you. However, if you're going to take that route that you're going to want either uh, to get help or subsidized or things of that nature, you're also going to be subject to the discerning barrier of entry that the music industry has. Right. That's right. So there, there's pros and cons to each. Um, if you don't want to be subject to a barrier of entry, if you don't want some, if you don't want an exact, basically one with one route, you have the indus, the music industry saying you're either good enough or you're not. And on the other side, when you're an independent and you just sort of do the work yourself up into a certain point, then the market decides whether you're good or not. Like yeah. your actual fan base that you've grown and nurtured at the end of the day that you're face to face with and in touch with, they get to tell you whether you're going to be successful or whether your album's going to sell or not. Like no industry professional in between. And, um, you know, the other good side about going that individual route, which I saw just from, this is all comes out stems from the conversations that we saw happening was that independent route, um, has the advantage of that in the industry eventually might come and court you instead of you reaching out to the industry, which is yeah. a great position to be in because then you have leverage. So when you get to a certain point or someone recognizes or, you know, you just, that's the value of just showing up and keeping, keep going and putting out the content or keep doing the shows is that eventually, you know, maybe someone will be at a show one day who actually has a friend who is a record exec and be like, Hey, I just saw these guys. They pulled 500, sold out this 500 person venue. Their music's really good. They're really tight. They don't have a record. They don't have anything. Like maybe if you get behind these guys, this could be the next big thing. And then, you know, so the record exec is calls or sends an email says, Hey, you know, I want to put, I want to have a meeting with you. Someone was at your show. They sent me a 30 second clip. I thought you guys were great. I've never heard of you. Um, you have, I think you have everything in my, you know, or whatever. Just come in, come yeah. in for a meeting. I want to talk. Um, you know, I again, going back to just anecdotal experience, I said, that's what happened with the genome project in, in Boulder when we played at a venue there. And then just, you know, from showing up there, string cheese, the guy who is the chiropractor for string cheese incident, who is really good friends with one of the partners at Madison house, so just happened to see us and then send our name and this, and then boom, like before you know it, things just happen. But, um, so that's just a little bit about the, yeah, well, yeah, versus. I think we, we kind of understand that side of the industry better. I think, uh, as you were saying, yes. like we, we've just, that's the only thing we've ever known. Like no one is here helping us out. So we got to push our, push our stuff and like push it hard. That's a good point. And, uh, a lot of the people on this panel, I think we're coming from the other side of the, the, the aisle, like the Warner, the, the Warner executive that was there. He, he was saying like, wow, like the government is holding back the gates. The whole, the government is, is like the floodgates or whatever. He's holding us back because, because he, he, he kept, he loved the Jews. He was like, ah, oh, the Jews have been writing songs in Tin Pan Alley for out for, for we've been in entertainment. We've been in entertainment. We've been in entertainment. Sweet, 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 sweet guy. Yeah. Uh, He's saying like the talent is here, right? But the talent isn't really crossing over to the rest of the world anymore, or that's what he thought at least. Right. And uh, he said the government needs to realize that there's a goldmine of of talent in Israel, and the the question is how can the government help that talent reach outwards, basically? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then they they basically asked us like, well, what do you think the government can do to 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 help us? And and no, nobody really gave good answers, you know. Uh, and it was just kind of like, well, I don't know. I only know how to, you know, do things myself now. So it's kind of like a, 
it's interesting. Like, I right. don't know. Everyone's like, well, the government's never helped us out. We're just doing everything on our own. Like, I don't know. You How would a, you the, a, you had I had a thought. Yeah, and I'll, I'll share that with you. And this is a thought that I've discussed with uh, another friend of mine, uh, Benny Whale, who's a great guitarist in the Jerusalem scene. Uh, the, the fact that there's no, like, good rehearsal spaces. Everybody... I'm like, you know, I have a recording studio and a lot of people always call me and they ask me, hey, where can I do a rehearsal or can I do a rehearsal with you even though you're a studio space? And I'm like, I'm not a rehearsal space. And there, there, there's basically, there's like a few rehearsal spaces in Jerusalem and they all fill up and there's never enough. And the reason why is because it's not a viable business, at least in Jerusalem in, in, and in Israel. Like, I don't know what it's like in America, but to open a space, to charge enough money per hour for rental, for rehearsal space, to, to cover the gear and the, and the rent and the, like the build out and everything. It, you'd never make money. You would only lose money. So it's an impossible business. So that's why there's no rehearsal spaces. So if the government was willing to, to dole out some money and make like government sponsored or municipally sponsored rehearsal spaces, then that would really help artists come together and make better content that in the end could maybe break it into the world. So that's like kind of like a small beans, not so sexy, not so cool uh, idea that, that I've had. But uh, yeah, I told that in private to one of the panelists, but, not, but my, my hand was not chosen when I, when I rose it uh, in, the actual, uh, in the actual meeting, in the session. Yeah, they were. Uh, it was a very interesting session. There was a lot of. It became very heated and passionate towards the end. Yeah, and I, I actually had to. I, I don't think I yelled. At, did I yell at the oh, guy? Oh yeah, yeah. You were yelling. I yelled at the guy before. But let's talk about what you yelled about. But I just want to like <laughs> just point out that <laughs> felt so good to do that. The whole thing was so not PC. I mean, it was like it was just crazy. I think we already mentioned this. It was the least PC event I have ever seen in my life. Everyone was just yelling at each other. And I don't know if it was mostly because of like it's Israeli or mostly because it's you know uh, I think, musicians I think it's, it's or the, both. I think it's I think it's the Israeli side of things where it's an Israel it's inherently an Israeli conference because it's it's here you have Israeli panelists mixed in with Anglo. The uh, panelists, panelists themselves were yelling at each other, yeah, not just with yeah. the audience. It was just it was it was totally it was nuts. And then when it's you like, have a bunch of artists in a room, what do what do artists? excuse me, thrive on, we thrive, thrive on passion and we get very passionate about our things. So, yeah. you know, when it, it was basically like, it wouldn't take much to spark, you know, uh, a wildfire of, of passionate discussion at a yeah. mus- international music conference. And uh, yeah, everybody. And like, you know, the moderator was cutting everybody off to like, cause it was just, things were just getting out of control. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it it was interesting. You know, they so, were they were talking about tr- one of the things they were you know, what, the piece that I wanted to contribute to the conversation yeah, was tell us. about um a lot the they were talking a lot about government funding. How can the government help you get off the ground? And like maybe that maybe that was the point of the discussion and I just didn't understand that they were actually just sitting trying to figure out how the government could help you about the same I time. I think that's I literally what they were trying to do. I know. I re- I realized after that um, but it wasn't obvious from the title of the. Uh, it wasn't no, obvious it wasn't, from the title of the. It session. definitely was not. Um, I think at the end of the day, what they were trying to, fi- what everyone there was trying to figure out about government: how can the government help the music industry or help the artists in a way that's also mutually beneficial for the government? So, if you have a music industry and a music sector that is growing, that is viable, that's exporting music, that's actually taxable revenue yeah. for the government. So, if you can grow the music industry to a level where it is in places like Sweden or the United States or other places, then the government itself will benefit from a huge influx of tax revenue. So I think that's yeah. what they're trying to figure out yeah. more than anything. But I think that's also like that's also like very minimal. Like that's not like the whole picture cuz like culture is huge. 
and culture and like music is a part of culture of of a of a you know of a country mm-hmm. and like the music that comes out speaks i think more of the country often than like how much money they're making and like you know just on a pure purely international like just for the good of mankind kind of right like you know that's why angle. they brought in a minister of of culture there we didn't hear him speak we didn't we didn't go the the day that he was speaking but um Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they had people there, you know. We but we didn't we didn't go back for the second day. It was a Friday. We we both were very. It would have been it would have taken a lot to fit it in. Yeah, we're both Sabbath Friday. observant, and uh, it was yeah. a very early Sabbath. Yeah, so it, the conference was going to end basically when Sabbath comes in. So we didn't go. Also, just there was there was just we both just had a lot to do, and we planned on going. We we, we planned on putting everything aside, but just from we we got enough from the first day, and we got a sense of what was going on, and enough. Uh, to realize, inter- oh, also we didn't need to come back the second day. <laughs> right. One of the interesting things that came out of the pan- that first panel discussion, we're spending a lot of time on this first panel because it was very um, it was characteristic like, of the rest of the, I think the yeah, rest of the Yeah, it was like a rude awakening the, to what's or, going on. Yeah, it, set, it, it was a tone. It set a tone for the yeah. day and, and the feel of the sort of things we wanted to discuss. But what I found was, um, so when they were talking about government subsidizing and helping artists are helping grow the music industry and how the government can help either fly artists abroad or do whatever, then, um, you know, I mentioned, uh, the, the topic of crowd crowdfunding yeah. and using the one thing that no artist spoke about or industry person spoke about, they were all talking about six, this word success and to achieve success and to get out there and do whatever. No one used the word fan base at all. No one even mentioned having fans, or like a group of people who like what you do. Maybe that was just an uh, should have been understood. But, but no, for me, I think, it's I th- so central. I think I that think that's word because, has to be that mentioned. Just proves how old my old like old industry minded they are. Yeah. Like it's like oh, we'll make the music. We'll right. decide. We'll decide what people are going to like, and then people are just going to listen to it and like it. Mm-hmm. Like one of the artists was talking about like we need to we need it to be either be easier or or like get us radio play. And it's like well, you know what's radio play going to get you like. Well, you have to have a good song. Radio play is is beneficial, yes, but I think people aren't thinking about why. Like, why do I want radio play right now? Like, let's say I was, I'm sitting, I'm an artist. I'm sitting here on November sixteenth. It's a Wednesday, and I'm looking at my to dos to advance my career today. And I have on there, um, get radio play. A, that shouldn't be the uh, task. It should be broken up into smaller tasks. Yeah. So I just want to finish this thought. <laughs> but like, have that has to be backed by something. How is getting on the radio? On to you know today, Wednesday, November sixteenth. If I can get on the radio next week, what impact is that going to have on my career? What benefit am I going to get from that? What exactly is that going to do for me? And if that's not, I think, defined or concrete, or you don't have like a fan base already or something that you're nurturing, then that's not going to be the thing that helps you. You'll be, you know, you'll get on, you'll be on for a week or a month and then you'll disappear. Like you have to have a plan around getting on the radio. I I hope and I assume that everyone who mentioned that has that and is a planner like that and has something built around the idea of why they want to get on the radio. But otherwise there's, there's no point in working that hard towards that specific goal. If you're not going to have the fundamental foundation of your business strategy built around getting on the radio. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people want to want to go on the radio because it, first of all, it's like the only way to make money with recorded music anymore because the the, the PROs will pay you mm-hmm. if you if your if your song is is uh, is played on the radio, especially like in Israel, it actually pays pretty well. If your song goes on Gagalots, which is the biggest uh, radio station here, you can actually start to make money from the hard work you've invested in your recorded product, which 
no one else is buying, obviously, because oh, awesome. This, it's is, 2016. this is where Ben's production yeah, yeah, yeah. and recording experience comes into the picture. So, so that's like a good reason to want to go on the radio. But you're totally right in that it has to be part of a bigger picture. Because if it's just to get on the radio, then then that's not the right reason. Because you have to, th- there has to be tours involved. There has to be, you know, a bigger picture. Uh, you know, like an art, an artist vibe that you're giving off that will continue to be given off in different ways. It, it, it can't stop there. But that's a good. It, it there's a reason why it's a good first goal. But it, but you're absolutely right. It, right, but it's not it, it's not everything. But what you just what you just outlined there is a is tying it into a business strategy. Is tying it into how is this going to advance my career and cash flow. Cash is, flow is huge. Cash for, flow is a is a big cash money. It's a it's a big item on the agenda. It's a big. So if it's a, if it's saying, okay, I need to get on. Not I I need to get on the being on the not I need to get on the radio, but. Getting on the radio right now would be very helpful because a the song I th- I feel like can make it the exact thing whatever it is I've shown it to some people and that'll give me the cash influx to then do yeah X Y and Z whatever's next but having Plus, that structure uh, and understanding where yeah. that money will go that revenue from the radio play what are you going to do with that like I think it all just has to you don't have to necessarily have it all planned out beforehand but have enough of it that like. You're not floating. You're not all of a sudden on the radio, and then it's like, well, what now? Or like, what happens? Or why do I need this? It's like, okay, cat. You know, I do like that cash flow. Yeah, it's, ca- <laughs> it's, it's cash flow, but it's and, it, and it's also that. you know, it's also exposure. <laughs> not anything. Come on, it's cash like, flow plus exposure. Yes, it's not just exposure. Exactly. Which is like you know. So I think just the general idea of having something around that, but I do like that you brought up the idea of cash flow, and your understanding of that is way deeper than mine because I don't, I don't know much about the recording our producing side of things. And that's why we're doing this together. Yeah. So that was very good insight. I appreciate that. Sure. Um, uh, I just learned something here. No, no, no. But it's, uh, yeah. But anyways, they were all like, let's get on the radio. And they're like, well, let's, uh, you know, let's work together. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was where I had that, that sort of like light bulb went off about that whole barrier of entry thing. Cause that's what the record, the Israeli record exec was talking about. He was saying, well, not everything gets on the radio. You can't just say, I need to get on the radio. Yeah. It helped me. It's like, we have a barrier of entry and it's called quality. And we, you know, that means that they determine what's good and what's not, which made my brain churn in terms of like, well, if you're independent, um, maybe it's, you know, I don't know if it's better, but just understand that there are other routes available, like just growing your own yeah. audience. And that's where I brought up the idea of crowdfunding with the guy and then got completely shut down. Yeah. Um, Talk about that. <laughs> Talk about crowdfunding right now and yeah. that, that whole situation. And so I'm going to yeah. do a really short recap. So I got a little uh, frustrated because everyone's talking about government funding and this, and I might have been missing the point of the discussion. But either way, I thought it was very interesting to mention several points. One was that uh, I got up and, and mentioned that no one said anything about crowdfunding yet, which is also just a great way to get off the ground or to afford to fly abroad as a band or, or an artist or whatever it is, where people were talking about we need more government funding to get exposure to you know fly to that festival or do whatever, where if you actually are you know, providing value to a group of people, they become your fan base as an artist, and then you can actually, at certain point, you build up enough trust with them that you can you can go to them for help. You can say, you know, you really like my art and we want to take this next step in our career, whether it's an album or it's a tour or whatever it is. And you can ask them for to, you know, put their money where their, where their hearts are yeah. with your project and, and dish out. And, um, 
I got completely shut down by the record exec. He he put his fingers in a zero and said FS FS FS, yeah. which is the Israeli equivalent of saying a zero. Like there's nothing. There's, there's there. no you're value. Talking, yeah, you're there talking, is no value. There's no value in what you're talking about. And they basically ignored me. And I also brought up the Such idea of. Punks. I said there's three words I haven't three three um, ideas or I, I can't think of the exact word I'm thinking of. Three things that I haven't heard mentioned so far that I think are really important to mention is crowdfunding, uh, fan base. And the, uh, what was the third one? The third one was the word success and how like it's how really, up, yeah. How do, how do we, like everyone is throwing around this word success. I heard an artist throw around the word success. The guy from Occam throw around the word success. The record exec guy used the word success and the moderator used the word success. I have a feeling everyone had this idea of success as being f- a star sort of, yeah. Um, which might not be success to people. So I mentioned, I said, there's people who are, well know you know who are very well known musicians who aren't really even making ends meet who live in their parents basement still when they're not on the road and then there's artists who nobody knows about who are making tons of money from publishing rights so there's like you know that's just another agenda item that I didn't yeah. hear mentioned but in terms of crowdfunding yeah we um, don't know what they were thinking yeah i started uh, speaking out to the guy saying like i think you misunderstood what i said maybe as a long term strategy maybe crowdfunding you can't depend on it but it's definitely a good way to get off the ground totally. at least i think and the funny thing about that that was after I sort of got shut down after the panel in the corridors of the conference, a lot of artists came up to me and were like, Hey, I really like, I like what you said about that crowdfunding thing. Some of them said, you know, I've experienced similar things with my fan base and others said like, you know, you said you, cause I said, you know, I used it to successfully with, with me and my, my co-managers used it to crowdfund our first tour. And then the next time we went on the road, we didn't need the crowdfunding cause that got us out the gate that got us the the seed money we needed to then go exactly and break out yeah. so it was a great catalyst and so people were like well how'd you do that and we found that we could provide a lot of value to people and explain to people and then also mentioned that if you sign up for the jukebox java newsletter that uh, there's a free download of a tour budget that I actually used to successfully manage the finances for those international tours yeah so man. people were very interested in that and it was very cool to be received sign in that up way. for our, there's, sign up for a newsletter yeah. guys so yeah, so it was very interesting to hear from all the artists in the quote corridors of the conference about just their interest in hearing more about crowdfunding and how that it, that wasn't even its own breakout session at the uh, at the conference. So yeah, uh, it was a good I, validator in terms of in terms of where people's heads are at. Yeah, totally. I just want to touch on crowdfunding also. Like I, I personally at this point, am more likely to donate money to a, a crowdfunding campaign than to buy an album after it's already been made, which is crazy. And I, I shouldn't feel that way, but it is true. There's something about the crowdfunding aspect that really helps people launch themselves. And like, I want to support people. And so like it, it, it ties in like, usually it's for albums. You obviously did a tour, which is a little bit different, but like when someone's doing it for an album, you just kind of want to be a part of that process and help them start it. And like, and for some reason it just makes it more, appealing to the, to the layman that's not part mm-hmm. of the that group to to purchase that album. It's like, oh, I could purchase it and make them let it and let them make it happen as opposed to it's already been done, so whatever. Okay, but I could stream it on Spotify or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, crowdfunding, I think it's very effective at least at the beginning before you know, before there's like a massive reputation because it really is an opportunity to get people involved and to and to and to just get yourself off the ground. I think so. And just one just one really more quick thing on that. I think that's all that's all uh 
that's all accurate, but yeah, the, the, the person doing the crowdfunding needs to make sure that they have a good story behind the whole thing. Like, why are you crowdfunding this album? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're just like, we want to, Hey, like I've seen crowdfunding videos where the guys are like, Hey, we want to put out our next album. We don't have any money. So if you want to hear our album and then, you know, their goal is like $50,000 and they have 250 after 13 days and you're like, uh, okay, there's something off here. No, no, a story is super important, yeah. but like by 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 supporting a crowdfunding campaign, you become part of their story, right? Yeah, in a no, sense. We're, right. We're not talking about the 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 how and the how to do. We're talking about the more the why behind it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with you. It's a good way for for supporters of a certain project to be become more invested in the yeah. actual recording. Like, it's a good way to connect with the music that you're listening to. Yeah. But I just want to go back now to the, the, you know, they were kind of ignoring you because they were kind of looking at the everything as an angle as like, what? How can the government benefit from this? How can like money be be a part of the thing as opposed to like the success of an artist? However, the artist defines success, you know. I think they were looking at like, okay, how can we profit off of these artists? That was like very obvious to me, mm-hmm. and like that just proves like the difference of like outlook of like the old generation and the new generation. The new generation is just like. You know, they're just they they're 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 just looking to get their art out there and make money. And the government's like, like, well, how can everybody be, you know benefit off of this? And it's like you're not actually applicable anymore. Like, this is just my opinion, I guess. But like, the artists are so clearly on their own. Like the big the big people are not really speaking the same language as them. They're they're trying to also make a buck, and and like it's just so obvious to me that there's that this like we spoke about the disconnect. It's just it's huge. And like the artists just need to realize that they they are on their own, and they have to if they you know if they can't do all the aspects of, of the marketing and all the and the booking and all that stuff, then they need to get their their they need they need to build a team, they need to build a crew, and you know it could be it could be someone that's just like loves their music and wants to help out for free, and like we 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 spoke about that kind of stuff also at the at the conference, and yeah, just like I don't know the whole government thing. It just like clearly like solidified the point that it's, it's not, it's, we're not on the same level. Like it's not in the same, they're not playing the same game here. I think, I think I agree with you. I, I agree with that not only in the music realm and in, in a lot of different realms. Like at the end of the day, no one's going to care more about your position than, than you will. Right? Yeah. Like, and, and in any realm, we're talking specifically about music, but in any realm, like even at a, a job or running a business or something like no one is going to be as invested in your interest yeah. as yourself. So you're your best you, ambassador. Yeah. And if you put in the work that's needed and you get that administrative skill set, you really just, you're, you are on your own at the end of the day, no matter what anybody tells you. And if you put in all that work and you start gaining traction from the work that you're doing, then you're always in a position where you can leverage, even if the government comes out one day and says, okay, we're going to do more to help. Um, you're in a position to say, to decide what level of help you might want to take from them. Like you don't, you don't need anything. And, you know, you, you could say, okay, well, now they have this thing. It's like, you know, I could use it or not, but I'm never going to be in a position where, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to have to, like, owe them. Yeah. It was also, like, implied that, like, a lot of the artists that the government here at least do push to get, to get out to external markets are, are, are artists that will help, like, the PR of the country. Yes. And that already is, like like rubs me the wrong way. Like, I don't want to be part of anybody else's agenda. You know what it I mean? It was very obvious the government has an agenda. Yeah, I don't want that. Right. No artist should want that. Especially, That's a really you know. good point. Yeah, so that was another thing. Right. Using using really art, using Israeli artists to, uh, to further a a national PR agenda. Yeah, I think art should have 
I don't know. I mean, art can be political, but art shouldn't be tied down to a political. Right. You know, there shouldn't I, I be know. strings attached yes. to a funding of an. You know, there shouldn't be strings attached that are that heavy. Like, if you want to be an artist and you want to be political, like. Yeah, that's what part of doing it on your own is, is yeah. that you're allowed to have that freedom of voice. Whereas if the government, so in a way, if the government helps you uh, get out there, then like you can't really come back and, and you know, your yeah. music can't be anti-government. Right. I think <laughs> probably. I, I think the government, it's in the government's interest, I think, to support artists, like I said, like with like rehearsal rooms and stuff like that, like kind of more like on the ground, being like living on a day to day basis as a musician in a country so that there is good art coming out of this country and there is good culture. And that like makes your country better in a in a in a cultural way that will that it will it will help the government in the end of the day anyways, if you allow if, if the conditions for artists are good, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Am I being clear? Like if art as a general thing like is art, being art is good. In a like the the like people go to the Lou, like French. You know, f- the the fact that there were so many amazing French artists is good for France. Like mm-hmm. makes France a cultural hub, and and that leads to more tourism, and that leads to more, you know, you know everything. So the so if the government helps make conditions good for like the creatives here in Israel, for example then the art that comes out of here will be better if like if they're able to rehearse more if they're able to come up with better ideas more easily the art that will come out of Israel will be uh qualitatively better and that will be good for Israel in the long term so i think well, what i'm hearing from you but is more it, but then it doesn't have a political strings attached it's not saying like oh the government is pushing this artist because he represents it like you know like they mentioned like Idan Reichel like you know, is a, is a really good like artist because he like represents Israel in like a you know melting pot kind of thing, but uh, you know outlook. But it's still like the government's like trying to push something on other people. Mm-hmm. That's different. So you're, you're you, talking about it, government help in infrastructure versus exposure. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of sense. Anyways, there. that's like our feelings, I guess, mixed mm-hmm. up with what we saw at the at the conference. Mm-hmm. So just concluding a little bit, talking about the, the last session that we attended for that day was a journalist panel, which we're not going to go deep into. I, I'm not going to go deep into necessarily what I thought about the panel, but Ben and I just wrote down a few of the takeaways we thought might be valuable from what journalists said. If you want to reach out to a publication, you want to get a, a story published about you, um, you know, do general outreach to a music uh, journalist, there were some questions asked and and advice given to artists that are trying to do this out, sort of outreach. Um, so if you're going to send an email to a journalist or a publication, try to get either something featured or an album review or a song review or whatever it is that you need um, published in the email. Never send an email attachment. Like never send your song. You always need to send a song. Um, Never send an email attachment or a zip, especially not a zip because you have to download it, you have to do whatever. Their advice was, I'll, tell them, I'll, I'll say what they said to do and then what they said not to do. What they said to do is send a streamable link, whether it's SoundCloud or Spotify, um, and put a link to the song in there. Keep the email short to the point. Um, if you have a story, put that in there. You know, if you have an interesting story. Yeah, the, the story, they, they, they kept saying over and over again, the thing that, like the artists that stood out to them were artists that had interesting stories. Because that also, they're coming from like a journalistic perspective. They want to write something about this artist. And if they have a good idea of what the background is, then 
that really makes it much more ju- makes it juicier, makes it more interesting to write about, mm-hmm. et cetera. You're not just someone else sending them a track and trying to get published. Like you actually have something that mutually benefits both of you. You have to in any outreach, any outreach you do, you really have to think about the other person's position. It's not like all yeah. about me, 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 me. You know, uh, hey, I need to get me, something published. Me, me, me. <laughs> Me, 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 me. Oh. You just have to, what was that from again? I think fizzle. Yeah. Yeah. Fizzle. <laughs> so, um, there's, you know, you have to think about what's this person going to gain by featuring me. Right. So you have to paint it either like, you know, Hey, we're this super underground thing. You know, you could be the first person to like talk about us. That's going to be important for you because of yeah. X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, just tell them a great story that they'll want to publish. Um, so Streamable link. Um, even further than that, that would be even better. They all agreed what would be the best would be to send them a video. A video gives a much better sense of who you are, what you look like, how you move, how you interact with a crowd maybe. you know. So um, uh, they said if a music video is really great because they get a sense of your character. It's, but it's, if you don't it's similar that, to a story because it sets a context for yes, the music. That exactly. Sets a context yeah. to the music. I think that's that's almost exactly what they said. Yeah. Um, and then definitely if you send a live video, though, if you send a live video, they were very, uh, uh, what's the word? They just said make sure that the sound quality is is up to snuff. Like don't send a crowd uh, live video that sounds like poop. Like send a high quality live, you know, three camera shoot that you have a board mix out of, you know, something like really high quality. Um, but that can be really helpful, especially if you're going the live music route. Like if you're reaching out to live for live music or relics or some other one that focuses heavily on live music, then sending a live video would be great. Um, and then they can see how many people are at your shows. Is the crowd moving? Are they dancing? And, uh, are they smiling? What's the, you know, what's the tone of your music? What's how is it moving people? But if, you know, if that's not your niche, then just a music video or even whatever it is, just some way that they can get more of a sense of who you are, um, and what you're about, you know? Um, so a video is very, is very good to send. They said that, uh, in terms of a message, who, who should it come from? The artist, the manager, or what have you, they said, for the most part, they prefer coming from the artists. You know, they're not going to sit there and nitpick, oh, this word was misspelled, that grammatical mistake, this was not capitalized. So, like, whatever, you're not a journalist. Like, it's important, but don't, like, don't, you know, like, whatever. Like, something's coming from a musician. It might not be the most beautifully written email. That's fine. They just said they, they prefer to hear from the artists themselves. You're the one they're gonna, that the story is going to be about at the end of the day. And uh, I think that's the most important thing yeah. is the story. Is, is yeah. I think the really story is story, story and the context is number one. And like number two is like the personal touch. Yeah. Yeah. The personal touch. Who, who are you? Like, why should I write about you? Like, I can't just write, oh, this song is great. I want to write about you. Also, know, like even, a, also like a contact. Like, oh, like, by the way, I know this person. Oh, like, uh, yeah. That like was that a big per, That's away. the personal touch that I, yes. that I was referring to, actually. Yes. Yeah. That's a real, that's huge. I can't believe I, I overlooked that one that's huge well, yeah. that's why it was two people doing the podcast yeah too. no that was a big one they mentioned was i'm much more um yeah if like my friend tells me to check out this band then i'm much more likely to check it out yes so like because i get you know so many emails with like different like you know links that like it's hard to filter through yeah so if you if you know someone who's connected to journalists or have a network or meet someone at a conference or whatever it is and get that FaceTime, then you know following exactly. up with them and then having them send their thing to the person that they know at that publication or what have you would will will pay dividends more than just cold outreach although you know cold outreach and oh that was another takeaway um really focus on who you're writing to. 
do a little time to take take some time to do the research. Like uh, yeah. look through LinkedIn. And that's a, and that's at, a good tip for everything yeah. also. Like when you're writing your bio about the band, when you're when you're like, you know, anything you send out regarding your, your who you are as an artist, like y- you want to you want to picture the person that you're writing to so you write it properly. Exactly. Understand who you're writing to. Do the research. Look at the last several articles that the person's published. And even in your outreach email, you could say, hey, you know, by the way, I'm a fan of your journalism. I really liked what you had to say in this article. I disagree a little bit with what you had to say here, but I hear your point of view. Either way, like, you know, I'm really, I really like your work and would prefer that, you know, out of all the journalists out there, I really would, would like it if you were the one to write up a story about my music project or whatever. Here it is. And that has much more of a, uh, you know, the, the journalist will have much more of an incentive to, or will feel much better about even engaging just to, with Even you. just to take the first step and look at it. Yeah, and, and definitely just important to know who you're writing to. Craft your message differently. Focus on different aspect of your project or your personality or characteristics of your group or your project, uh, depending on who you're writing to. Like, uh, for example, if you're, if you're a band that has, uh, you know, let's, let's, take a, let's take an example of a band that's made up of Jewish individuals, okay? So, like, if you're writing to get coverage in, you know, a Jewish local news newsletter um, because for whatever reason you want to play a house party there and you know the pay for that might be a little higher so you're not going to say like you know melts faces and rocks out or whatever you say like you know um, you know, live in Israel, come from Jerusalem, you know, went, attended this high school back in the day and now are doing this, whatever. Like that's the story there. Whereas like, you know, Relics Magazine or, or you know, Billboard or uh, yeah. Rolling Stone is not really going to care about that. They're going to be like, these people come internationally. They're, you know, Anglos who understand, you know, a certain niche of music and, you know, have succeeded in, you know, creating a new revolutionary sound within that genre. Like that's what, that's the story they're going to yeah. care about about more than you know the Jewish background right. whatever it is so every story crafting yeah. your story accordingly to who you're writing to and that goes that's literally what Ben said not not uh, limiting that to music just using that in life understanding who you're talking to um, that's what we're, we're trying to do with this podcast too so yeah. we'll but take our own advice I there. had like a funny uh, question when I actually asked them you weren't in the room at the time but I asked them like how do you guys listen to your your you know the music that comes to you are you like listening on studio monitors good headphones or just listening through like iPad speakers or something mm. and I, I was like expecting like any of them like it could have been anything and it was but like everybody was different like the what there was like an, a, a scottish a scottish uh, girl who's like oh i have really really bad headphones and the, and the, there was a guy from la he's like only in my car which is something i could relate to because like your car is like the best place to do active listening like that's why i listen to podcasts and music in the car because like i can focus on it for real and not mm-hmm. be distracted by my email or anything else and then an- another girl was like oh i have to you know have really good headphones and then and then and the and the last guy was like Oh yeah, I listen to my MacBook Pro crappy speakers, and if it starts to stand out to me, then I'll put on good headphones. Ah, so it was like, like it was literally all of the above. So like I thought I could have like a good like tip, you know, for like how I do production. Do I really want to master for like you know, so it sounds good through what kind you know, but uh, it's everything. It's so funny because I remember Mike White. Mike White is a world-renowned mixer producer that I studied with at during my time at SAE, the School of Audio Engineering. In I've New heard York it, City. I've heard his name. Yeah, he's look up his discography. He's done like okay. just some of the best music <laughs> the past few decades. That's him. But he had a lot of great tips on like he was the first person to open my eyes to that sort of thing about, hey, you know not everyone's gonna be listening on those studio headphones that you're mixing on, right? Or totally. the studio monitors. Like people are gonna be listening on their uh, at the time, what was it? Um, computer speakers. Smartphones weren't around yet. 
<laughs> but people are going to be listening on their computer speakers or whatever it is. So that's not him. But the, you know, how do you get bass to pop out on computer speakers, like just laptop speakers? And you know, he would he would talk about stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it was just so eye opening. It's like, oh yeah, we do have different listening habits, and you have to make sure that something's going to sound good on all those different devices. Totally got to. So it's I li- just I, very when I'm when I'm doing a mix, I listen on the speakers, I listen on my headphones, I take it to the car, I take it, I take it on my tiny little speaker I have in my house, yeah, like. Everywhere. The bass is such a good indicator of, of all those things. Like if you can get the bass to pop out on yeah. a smartphone and then also be clear and resonate in the right frequencies on like studio monitors and then like a high fidelity, you know, five speaker surround sound, whatever people have in their homes. Yeah, that's like the like, hardest thing to do. Oh, that's so like, but if you can get that, I, I always tip, like, I always listen to the bass. P basses just pop out better than J, J basses. There you go. And jazz basses. Yeah, the precision bass. I don't know what about it. Something in the mid range, like like six hundred hertz or something. I love a good piece. It just it just goes, and like and those are like not the prettiest frequencies in the bass. Like so like that. I think like if you're playing bass by yourself, like without a band, like the jazz probably sounds better. Mm-hmm. It's like a nice cleaner sound. But the P bass just sits and mixes so nicely because of that. And you can, and like I can make a P bass like pop through a mix on like a cell phone, you know. And jazz bass not always or not mm-hmm. as easily. Anyways, just a. Yeah, bass bass player producer Ben Tangents. Side note, hashtag. No, I, yeah. I like that. That's that's <laughs> that's sort of stuff I want to have come up spontaneously. These are these are things anyway. I think about a lot. Actually, um, yeah, <laughs> we do a, have to wrap. Such up. a nerd. So. Anyways, yeah, I think we covered basically everything we wanted to cover about it. We're happy we went. It it gave us like you know impetus to start like, and here we are in Jukebox Java, and. Uh, and uh, Tel Aviv, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to have a day out together with, with Ben. Yeah, and we got we really got, like go as we got some like hangout team. time. We got yeah. the car ride, which was um, nice, and, and just yeah, meeting people together as a team and really solidifying what we're doing here. Yeah, and, really, yeah, and validated sh- like that we we know a lot and we we understand what it's like on the ground and like we have like we have information that we can help people with. Mm-hmm. And just right? yeah, and and in general, just doing what we can to support to support a music scene here in Israel. So going to a, you know, a conference in Tel Aviv that, you know, I know definitely was not easy to put together looking at the uh, roster of people that they got to fly in for this. Um, definitely was not a cheap undertaking nor a simple undertaking. So to show appreciation for the people put on the conference, um, for the steps they're trying to make towards m- making life for musicians better here in Israel. Um, cause I did get the sense that the people putting on the, the conference are definitely, uh, definitely do have the artist's best intention at heart. Yeah. I do believe that. Very passionate. So um, for that, we th- we definitely thank you guys and, and definitely wanted to just show general support for something that we believe is is valuable for musicians here in Israel. Um, I think in a ne- broader sense. Next, t- next year, if, if, you, if, if anyone who is running this is listening, then for next year, our tips would be to make it one day where you condense it all together and really people show up and are there. Yeah, musicians are capable of waking up early. Like you can make it start at nine. Like yeah. that would that would that would make the hustle even better. Maybe the panelists don't want to show up at nine. I don't know what it is, but like, you know, make it start at nine maybe. And like the musicians who want to hustle, they'll be there, man. They'll yeah. be there. They'll be there front and center. They'll be there with coffee at eight AM yeah. signing in. Like just you know, if you want help making sure that happens, I'm there. Ben and I are here. Just yeah. ping us. Talk to us. 
See how, so. you know, let us know how we think you, we can help you mm-hmm. if, if you think we're valuable. <laughs> if not, then, all right, then you can get out of here. Go tell us to, you know, peep off and that's <laughs> it. Peep off, man. Get out of here. What hey. do you guys know? Hey. <laughs> get <laughs> out of here. I don't even know where I'm from. I, I, one thing I can't do well is accents. I'm from Bensonhoist. Yeah. You're at, like, you're like actually from New York. I'm actually, so I'm not actually from Bensonhoist, but I am from Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got that accent down. I think here. I was trying to do a Brooklyn accent, but I can't. I'm so bad that at New York. Ita- that was the Italian Brooklyn accent. Yeah. Brooklyn. Uh, trying or like Queens or something. I grew up in Virginia. So like with a dad from Memphis, Tennessee and a mom from like, you know, New Jersey. So like I, I was just a whole mess of accents. So totally. I fall somewhere in between everything. Like yeah. uh, sometimes I'll say orange. Sometimes I'll say orange. I don't really oh. know. I say orange because my dad's from Ohio. Well, there you go. I don't even know where people say how, what they say, what orange, where, how, or where, when. I don't know either. <laughs> so. But we're not linguists and we're not here to tackle that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. My but we are is. interested in it. What? <laughs> my wife is, she studied linguistics. Oh, yeah? No yeah. way. Cool. Yeah. Which she, obviously she makes use of every day in her career as a sure. women's self-defense instructor. I'm sure she does. So, women's empowerment instructor. So, all right. With that, we will conclude. Um, overall, really happy we went. Um, we did uh, walk away with some insights, which we shared here today. Um, some of these people break out into their own episodes. A lot of topics that we touched upon. But, um, yeah, in general. Yeah, look out for a crowdfunding episode. Yeah. And again, thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye, everybody. It's been (laughs) nice. (laughs) Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the latest episode from Jukebox Java, where Ben and I discuss some of the reasons why we attended Tudin Tel Aviv and some of the high-level takeaways that we gathered therein. If you would like to keep up to date with the latest and greatest from Jukebox Java, feel free to follow us online. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash jukeboxjava. You can find us doing the visual image thing on Instagram at username JukeboxJava. You can even find us on Twitter at JukeboxJavaPod, P-O-D at the end. And feel free to sign up to our newsletter on our website at JukeboxJava.com slash subscribe. When you sign up to our newsletter, you will receive a secret access download link to a tour budget template that I, Yakir, have used to successfully manage the finances for numerous international tours. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. We truly appreciate your time and your attention. Until next time, stay warm, stay classy, and stay groovy. This has been Ben and Yakir from Jukebox Java. Jukebox Java.